The Perfect Ten with Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time radio award winner. And welcome to The Perfect Ten. Right now, a guy that I absolutely love. You may have seen him on Countdown back in the 1980s with his band Flotsam Jetsam. He's toured with some absolute legends, including Queen. Since then, he's become one of the world's best DJs, even working for the royal family. Some of the biggest names in the music business have watched him in action, including Bowie and Prince. He's got a thousand stories, so let's get down to business with DJ Stephen Ferris. Welcome to The Perfect Ten. Thanks for having me, and I will try and be as brief and as succinct as possible. Tell us about where you grew up and when you first fell in love with music. I was, um, well, born that long ago that there was, you know, was hardly a radio in the house, let alone the internet, um, and I do distinctly remember the Beatles pestering my parents to let me watch the Ed Sullivan Show in 1964, I'm thinking, and um, All My Loving Was The Song, and I was absolutely besotted. I went out and pestered my mother to buy me a plastic Beatles wig, which, of course, didn't fit my head. I was too little. I wish I still had it today. But I, I always had this thing about popular culture, I suppose, and music seemed to be the, the energy. You know, I wasn't, The movies were never big. Later on, of course, I got into movies and literature, but, and I think it transferred through my family because... One girl, um, she's a dancer, a sister, five boys, um, two are John and Pee Wee are DJs, record producers, radio people, music industry people generally. The other two, audio, visual arts, you know, my father was an accountant, you know, <laughs> and none of us followed in his footsteps, you know. <laughs> you said about the Beatles in yeah. the early 60s, you look like the eternal teenager. Oh. <laughs> well, are you born in the 50s? Born in the 50s, late 50s, yeah, yeah, 57. And I, and I will say that I think I'm the longest serving DJ working in Sydney, but um, I don't do clubs anymore, of course, but I still do events and radio, um, music industry, uh, Vivid, you know, I'm the music curator for Vivid, so music's always been there. Obviously, Flotsam Jetsam, incredibly popular here in Sydney in particular, but were you in bands before that? Yeah, um, like everybody, you, you do covers bands. You know, you start off playing the Rolling Stones and, you know, Lou Reed and whatever else is, you know, around. Grew up in the Northern Beaches and then the North, North Shore and there were a lot of bands at the time sort of coming together. I don't even actually think I wanted a career in music. It was just something I liked doing and I wasn't sure. Film was another way I was going to go. And then I went to the States and I realised that the only constant in my life was music. Everything else would come and go. And I thought, okay, the band will be it, you know. And DJing was a, was a way to make money. It was, it was a sideline. I was losing money in the band and making money DJing, a lot of money, you know. And I walked right into a very big job at a club that's no longer here called Jamison Street. Um, a Tuesday night, opening night, 1,500 people, and I never, never looked back. Tell us more. Yeah, well, um, the band, we were, we were doing pretty well. You know, went on Countdown and Hey Hate Saturday, for those that are old enough to remember. Um, we toured with Queen, um, Aha, Simply Red, New Order, all these you know, terrific bands. Had a great time. But there was somewhere between sort of five and nine people on the road, and, we, you know, we just never made the money. And in the end, I think... I think we got dudded by a promoter once and, and everybody was sort of drifting a little bit, you know, it was getting a little bit tense, you know, we, we can't hold the band together. Perhaps if we'd stuck it out, you know, who knows what would have happened. But I landed in a job, uh, as I said, a friend of mine um, was in a band called The Rock Melons and they had just come out of NIDA and they said, look, we need to start a new night, a hip night on a Tuesday night in Sydney at Jamison Street, which was an old tram repair shed and I walked in on Tuesday night and it was 1500 people full house now I also had another couple of other little you know club jobs but it was a really good way to kickstart a career in doing what I wanted to do no one could tell me what to play 
how to play it. And the same thing as I love then, I love now, which is um, American soul, funk, disco, and that sort of thing. But I'm pretty broad, you know. I mean, to be a DJ, you have to be prepared to work with clients and work with you know whoever's in front of you, you know. Tell me about being on Countdown because I've seen the clips. You look like you're about three metres off the mic. How were your lip-syncing skills? Well, you may remember that um, famously Midnight Oil wouldn't go on the show, but also ACDC never... Well, they did go on it, but they didn't want to mime, you know, and of course very few bands could get away with not miming, you know. I don't even know if Cold Chisel got away with it, but, you know, in, in excess, everybody had to mime, you know. It was just the ABC and you know, in and out as fast as you can. It was it, I mean, an institution coming from Sydney. It was one of those really... We took all our girlfriends, you know, it was an exciting day out, you know, and of course the fans turn up there, they're all there waiting out the front for whoever's going to turn up, autographs, photos, you know, <laughs> and Aha was particularly one of those great, you know, you get a taste of what pop stars really go through for a very short period of their life, you know. Queen was quite a revelation because Freddie Mercury was going through a very difficult phase and he wasn't talking to the band and he would come, arrive separately, leave separately, he would never talk to anybody. We had a party in the last night of the, the tour and uh, he stayed behind a curtain, yelling and screaming at somebody, never came out, you know, there was all the record-cutting people, never said a word to anybody. It's quite bizarre. Is he the biggest star that you met through that period? Oh, well, I, I've DJed for a lot of people. So, for example, at, at this club, Jamison Street, um, Bowie and his entourage came one night. I played all the, the band members. I knew they were all from different bands. One was from Chic and you know, Robert, Robert Plant and uh, Robert Palmer, I should say. So I would always try and sort of tease the band on the dance floor. But, oh, yeah, look, I mean, I did, did events for Grace Jones and Bowie and um, Prince one night. We didn't invite him. He, he turned up at a club I, I worked at called Rogues, and he just took over. I, I looked out the front, and I saw a limo. I went out the back of the club, and he had his own security, and he walked in the back door. He just took over, you know, put his own DJ on, didn't ask. <laughs> it's quite bizarre. And, um, of course, the crowd you know, went nuts and all the rest of it. He actually came over and stood next to me while I was talking to a mate of mine, and to this day, I still don't know why I didn't say hello. He just stood there, and I, he was listening to my conversation. We never said hello. Trying to be too cool? Too cool. Now I go, what, what was I thinking? You know? And how sad that three of those artists have now passed and yeah. three of the greatest talents that yeah. our generation has seen. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I saw Prince at the Opera House just a couple of months, you know, he did the piano tour where he walked out and he just sat on the piano and absolutely phenomenal. And obviously his, this whole issue with, you know, painkiller, prescription painkillers is a, is a big, big issue because he obviously thought he was functioning quite well and he appeared to be on top of the world. Let's go back to 1986. Yeah. Countdown. You're a seven-piece, is that correct? We fluctuated. We had um, extra backing singers sometimes. Sometimes we'd have a horn player and sometimes a percussionist. Um, but essentially, probably a basic unit of five. It's a, it's a great period of Australian music, uh, predominantly pub rock with bands like In Excess, Chisel, yep. Midnight Oil, yep. like you said, ACDC as well. Yep. You guys are doing something totally different with kind of dance and funk, and you sound like you're a UK band out of maybe Manchester. That was a really big issue because um, even though I, I, we, we did play with um, the indie bands like Go Betweens, um, you know, Nick Cave, those sort of bands, we got lumped with all sorts of weird ones, also in excess who were, were mates of mine. I totally got the pub rock thing, loved it, you know, and loved ACDC. You know, saw them with Bon Scott when I was, when I was young. But we went in a different direction. I suppose, for want of a better term, I think Talking Heads were an inspiration for us that you could be 
interesting with your lyrics, a little quirky. You could be pushing with technology a bit, um, but still have your loves from the past. You know, if you love Silly Dan, which some, one of the, the band members, or if you love James Brown, or if you love Michael Jackson, you could still use that and try to make something new. And of course, the 80s was the the big boom in you know synth, you know, digital technology coming through. So we were mad on trying to find new sounds. I don't think we succeeded all the time. You know, I think we we were floundering around trying to make it work. You know, but that was the fun part. You know. How do you feel like Distraction sounds in 2018? To me, it it sounded fresh, great keyboards and piano on that track. Well, that was my brother Nick programming because he was a great programmer and a, a really a great, great ear for all instruments. But we had a keyboard player called Ash Cadell who actually worked with David Byrne a few years later. Um, he was terrific and he's now based in Melbourne. But Ash did the actual playing. Nick, my brother, programmed it. Um, for those out there that love the technology, we got a producer from the ABC, uh, Keith Walker, who said, let's get a Fairlight. Now, I don't know if you know what a Fairlight is, but it was designed and built in Rushcutters Bay, and it became world famous because it was the first sampling keyboard. So, the, you know, when you hear those orchestra stabs and the funny voices going up and down, and um, that was the Fairlight. Have you been invited to do some of the tours in the last few years where there's been a lot of 80s bands? I have, but we, none, of us, none of us have got any interest in going back there. <laughs> who were your favourite bands back then? I did think In Excess had a, had a real knack. They, they had a curve, a growth curve. Became friends with Kirk first off and then Michael as we got to know him. And Just watching that band change and evolve with success, I think they knew they were built for success and, and, it, and it made them a better band, I think. Yeah, look, I, I did like Wawanee's pop stuff and I did like the Rockmelons. Um, she wish you hit me there. Give you some time to think. Can you come back and join us? I would love to. You just started me. <laughs> Next week, we talk about his friendship with the late, great Michael Hutchins. And we gauge his thoughts on the way the music industry has evolved in the last three decades. Hope you've enjoyed The Perfect Ten. We'll catch you next week. The Perfect Ten.